Welcome to this week's edition of the Eye of the Swarm podcast. He's our engineer, Elliot Swear, the big sound, Matt Johnson. I'm John Garver, and I, I was thinking on the way over here this, this morning, Matt, is the first one of these, I know I wore shorts. and uh, Good luck with that. We got about a 100-degree swing between the first time we recorded this thing and today. It's uh, unseasonably cool here in the Northland on this uh, early November Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah, my eyes are watering a little bit on the walkover. Um yeah, it's 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 always weird for me when we get down below freezing and we don't have any snow on the ground, which is the case right now. Right. Um, I've had the people who are um, vegetation experts or self-professed vegetation experts tell me it's bad for grass. It's bad for anything that grows because by natural, you know, in nature, you're intended those 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 particular like any kind of grass or plants or anything. They're intended to be shielded by the snow because right. the snow acts as an insulation for them when it gets really cold. And when we don't have that, it, it's sort of like it just doesn't feel quite right, mm-hmm. um, you know, because everywhere on the planet Earth that's really cold, you always think of snow as well, not just it's really cold there. Right. You know, so it's a little bit disconcerting. I know that we're going to get hit at some point. We do every winter. There's always a 6 to 12-inch storm, that, usually multiple. Yeah, is it one? Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that'll hit us. And they usually hit us at really inopportune times, not when we're expecting them. Usually they'll hit like in times like in April or March. When we're hoping that you know the spring schedule will be over. somewhat manageable, right. but yeah, when it's all over. But uh, yeah, this time of year usually you start to get a little bit cold snap before you even get the snow. And yeah, we almost didn't have a white Christmas last year. We didn't get any real snow up until like the last like two weeks beforehand. I think we didn't. If I remember right, we've we got like the entire winter's worth of snow in about a six week stretch. Yeah, from in the end of January because I remember we got marooned in River Falls on a road trip. Because, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Because that day it just decided to dump over a foot of snow, and we the bus company said, "I think we should just stay down here." That was awful. That which weekend, was a very by the way. smart yeah. thing. But I, I feel like the very last week of January is when we hit the coldest of the winter. Yep, that was the the they canceled school because the temps were temperature minus just dropped out, and it was really wind chills were in the 50s, 60 below. Yeah, range. it was yeah. really cold, and then all the snow came right after that. Yep, and. It was a six-week stretch of brutal cold and all this snow. And every time the plows would get around to, okay, now we're going to go to these parts of town, boom, another foot of snow would come. So they have to go back and start clearing the main arteries. And it was it was a ridiculous winter that way. I think last year you told me during that snap that I think Elliot had recorded like an 87 below wind chill or something, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it was some ridiculous. Yeah. Because it wasn't, you know, I, I remember last year was the first time that there were multiple days canceled because of wind chill. It wasn't yep. so much... Uh, you know, because air temperature can get, you know, we can go down. The buses can operate up until about 25 to 30 below. But even the buses start to, to really balk at 60, 65 below. And you can't have little kids standing out in that. Right. I mean, you're asking for all kinds of problems. Right. And uh, so, yeah, that that was amazing to me uh, how cold it really was. Yeah. You know. So we've got... With the weather talk, obviously, that means winter sports are in full swing now. They are. And uh, let's take a look at what happened in the world of Yellow Jacket sports last week, Matt. Well, we'll lead off with uh, leading into our, our guest this this week on the podcast. Um, men's soccer, back to the NCAA tournament for a third straight year. Congratulations to Coach Joe Mooney in the Yellow Jackets. It was an eventful UMAC tournament final. It, it always was, is whenever you play St. Scholastica. It, yeah, it always is. Fifth straight was, year between those but two. But it was, it was a really entertaining match. It was. It was. I, I, I was listening to you while I was doing the play-by-play. I was listening to your inf- inflection on the PA, and I could tell you were getting into it, too. It right. was. <laughs> I had somebody text me and say, I can hear you over the radio broadcast. You're coming through. 
because they obviously. I just stopped talking because I, I could hear you. Yeah, <laughs> obviously you didn't have to plug into the PA system for that one, but yeah, my excitement was definitely building as the match went on. Yeah, and it was it was a a, a classic UWS CSS matchup, I would say. Um, Yellow Jackets, of course, winning it four to two. Uh, so, like I said, congratulations to Coach Mooney and the Yellow Jackets off to the NCAA tournament yet again here in 2019. Uh, that game was played on Saturday at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. It was a little bit warmer than the semifinal against Martin Luther, but not a lot. Not much. No, it was a little bit warmer. We didn't have as much wind, and there was a little more moisture in the air, so it kind of held the, the temperatures a little bit higher. But it was still pretty cold, and it was one of those games that was memorable on a number of fronts. Yellow Jackets, uh, and not and not just for the the fact that the Yellow Jackets are going back to the NCAA tournament. There were some things that happened in that game that were a little bit odd. Yep, <laughs> so, absolutely. And we'll talk about that in a second here. Uh, the Yellow Jackets scored three of their four goals in the second half of that contest. Blake Perry got started with a beauty of a goal where he caught uh, uh, St. Scholastica keeper Corey Bullheller off of his line at the edge of his box. Perry coming in. It was a true goal scorer's goal. That's a goal that not just anybody can score. Right. And he came in on the edge of the 18, flipped it up with that dominant left foot of his, over the top off an assist from Miguel Ocampo at 2014. That made it one nothing. Then St. Glasgow came right back on a beauty of a strike. Mally Lumsden, who is a guy that me and Coach Booney are both familiar with from our work with uh, Duluth FC, he scored what was their first goal again. That was a beautiful goal. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it was just – and it was their first shot. Yep. You know, I mean, shots were like 9 nothing, I think, at yep. that time, or 8 nothing, yeah, or something. something like that. And he just got from about 30 yards out, just turned and fired it, and it went into the upper corner. Nothing Dalton Van Kandel could do. And that goal came, I think, with about 12, 13 minutes. I didn't sounds mark it down. Sounds about right. Yeah, yeah and it made it 1-1. Sure, but that sounds about right. And then the second half happened, and that's where the wildness really took place. <laughs> uh, UWS retook the lead at 57-10 on an own goal by St. Scholastica. And it was one of those own goals where you feel like I, 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 I talked about this a little bit in the interview that you're about to hear with Coach Mooney. I felt bad about it. I really did. I was hoping that wouldn't be the game winner. I know that you and, and Coach Mooney feel differently. Yeah, I don't but, feel bad at all. But uh, like, as a former defender, being on that spot, that would really bug me, the way that that went down. It was basically a cross into the box, and right. we had a runner coming in from the back. Uh, their defender, outside defender, came in, tried to head it back to his goalie. Bullheller went one way, the ball went the other, and it was in the back of the net before he could dive over and try to knock that thing out of there. It was one of those where the defender – you could see what he was thinking. I'm going to hit this back to the goalie. He'll pick it up, and we can go back the other way. Yep. Didn't happen. Went in the back of the goal. And I, 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 well, your reaction, I think, was because I, I heard a couple of gasps in the box next to me when that happened. What what was the general reaction well, with you guys over there? the stack crew over there, I, I had a couple that people working that are relatively new to, right. to working a soccer match, and it was sort of the, what just happened? Does that count? Does yeah, that count? I, I heard does that. Does that count for us? Like, yeah, it, it does. And then my mind goes to, how That's you, a great break. How do you announce that? Yeah. You know, so yes, it, yes, goal. it's yeah. a great, great break for the home team, but how do I announce that? Because <laughs> nobody gets credit for it. No. It's a team goal. You'll take us retake the lead no on an own goal. Yeah, yeah. And that's basically how you announce it. And it's like the least dramatic championship game goal call of all time. Right. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I mean, all I said was, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's an own goal. It's an own goal. Yeah, I mean, so, that's all I said. I think, uh, holy smokes, or how about that for a way to take the lead right. or something like that. Yeah. I said something like that. But before we could even really get that announcement out, oh, boom, the, the match was tied. Yeah, they come right back. Ken Pride scored the tying goal. Uh, he'd actually scored in the semifinal against Bethany Lutheran for St. Scholastica. And that was really the only... Uh, Defensive breakdown the Yellow Jackets yeah. had the whole game. Right. Um, it was a ball from Finnegan Huffington that was near side. I didn't get the time on the goal. I didn't write that one down. But uh, crossed it into the box, made its way to the backside, and then uh, somebody fell asleep defensively for the Yellow Jackets, and Ken Pride scored it. I think it was his fourth goal of the year. And that tied it up at two apiece. But then Miguel Ocampo took over, junior center midfielder from St. Louis Park, 
uh, scored what turned out to be the game winner off of a free kick. Took a bit of a deflection, but he gets credit for it. His seventh goal of the season, unassisted at 61-38. That was what proved to be the game winner. And then he finished it off off an assist from Blake Perry, picking up actually a rebound off a Perry shot. Uh, that was stopped by Bull Heller at 76-37 for his second goal of the game, his eighth of the season, and the Jackets end up winning at 4-2. But a nice showing. And it, it was it was gratifying because I felt like the game had a little bit of everything in it. Right. There were seven cards handed out, five of them against St. Scholastica. Um, I was actually hoping that we would not see a red, and we didn't. Because uh, in games like that, I want to see it as clean as possible. Yeah, I mean, you don't want something like yeah. that to actually play a role in – the result yeah. and I and I felt like you know one mostly all the guys that got cards did a good job of you know okay I've, I've gotten my warning now I better stop right so I felt like that was a good you know that that ended up playing out the way I'd hoped I didn't want it to be an 11 on 10 situation or a uh, you know uh, uh, even a 10 on 10 situation where we lost a couple guys due to red cards right um so yeah I mean it but it's always a thrill to win and mm-hmm. it was it was neat for the guys. I mean, the crowd was really good too. The crowd, crowd was real good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, despite it, the the elements that day, it was uh, it was a really good the drum crowd. was out. The big drum was yeah, out. The drum was there, and <laughs> the volleyball yeah. team was going crazy. I saw them down there, and the women's soccer team. They were there. Women's soccer was there. The tennis team was there. So yeah, it was a, it was a good crowd that day. Yeah. So uh, yeah, they're off to the NCAA tournament, and we'll talk more about that in a bit. Women's soccer, meanwhile. Feels like we've talked. It seems like this was happened a long time ago, based on everything that's happened since this. Right, but it's only been a week. Yeah, it's crazy. Anyway, women's soccer was knocked out, of course, of the UMAC tournament semifinals on Wednesday against Northwestern, two nothing. They pitched a shutout to the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles scored both of their goals in the opening half. Emily Curry scored them both, eleven forty eight, the opener, and then she scored from the penalty spot at twenty eight forty eight to make it two nothing. Madison Gutekunz closed out her sophomore campaign with ten stops. Darn good sophomore campaign. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the all conference teams are coming out. I think on Wednesday this week. Is what Coach DeGroat told me. I think it's because uh, volleyball came out yesterday. I believe men's soccer comes out today. Okay. And women's soccer, I think, is tomorrow. Okay. Because I'm expecting two Yellow Jackets to be first team. I'm hoping. I think it'll be Gutekunst and Anna Schusman will both be first team this right. year. I, I would be shocked if they're not both first team. Right. Just based on how it all played out. But yeah. uh, that would be back-to-back first team all-conference nods for Madison Gutekunst. Not and bad goal. for no. two years, two, two all-UMAC uh, selections. Yeah, so. not bad. Not yeah. bad at all. Women's volleyball also had their season come to an end on that same day against the same opponent, Northwestern. Three sets to two, though. That was an incredible match. I didn't see any of it, really. Because I, I was watching the first two sets, okay, and we weren't playing all that well, so I shut it off and started <laughs> doing other things. And then I look at, at the score all of a sudden, and I'm like, oh, my God, this thing's going to a fifth set. <laughs> what yeah. in the world just happened here? So I think if they actually would have shown up a little bit and played a little, little bit, bit better in those first two sets... Maybe. The result could have been a little bit different. Yeah, and I mean, those middle three sets were all pretty tight, really. Yeah. The first set was a little bit of a of, of a difficult yeah. stretch for the L Jackets. Yeah. They lost it 25-13, and then the second set, 22-25. So they were growing in the match as it went along. Yep. And then they took the next two, 28-26 and 25-21, and then that fifth set, that's tough. That I mean, it, you know, you're playing the top seed on their home floor, yep. and, you know, that that was tough. Ended up losing at 15-6, to six, but... I'll give this to the Yellow Jackets. They left it all on the court. There's they nothing did. really much more they could have done. No, they absolutely did, and they were uh, a very resilient bunch that day. They were. They were indeed. UWS hitting 146 for that match. Northwestern hit 224. So neither team really burning it up offensively, but it's the postseason. You're going to see a lot of digs and a lot of defensive efforts yep. made in the matches like that one. Yep. Hannah Gogolai had a really good end to her campaign. She spent some of the year a little bit she banged up. She was good up. in the playoff. Yeah, she was really good. She 15 good kills. Cammy Sleda, 13 kills. Gina Barge, 24 assists, 16 digs. Megan Holes, 19 assists. Yana Carrera led the way defensively. She had 25 digs. Bradley Colligan with 20 more. And Peyton Sherber 
at 13. And as you mentioned, the Yellow Jackets also received some all-conference honors as a result of their season. Cammie Sleda, first-team all-conference, very well earned, by the way. She's she's one of the better outside hitters in the league, no doubt about it. Yep. Bradley Colligan and Yana Carrera each earned second-team all-conference honors, and I think that was pretty well earned as well, especially on Carrera's end. She was really right. good the last about month of the year. Well, once they put her in as the, the libero, libero and, and yeah. left her in that position. She had some really, really good yeah, matches. Yeah, she had some really good matches. Yep. And Hannah Gogolai and Gina Barch each claimed honorable mention all-conference honors, so five Yellow Jackets ended up getting mentioned from the conference, which is nice to see. You know, even though it's, you know they wish they would have gone a little bit further, but right. obviously, but uh, nice to have five of their players get uh, some all-conference recognition. So yep, that's absolutely. how they close up 2019 men's and women's cross country off this weekend. Uh, we'll talk more about. No, let's them. not talk about them. Yeah, let's not talk about them. <laughs> men's basketball. Now we're getting to the winter sports side. So it was busy for winter sports. A lot of games. We had uh, six games between the four teams played over the weekend. Men's basketball went one and one. Defeated Marion in the opener 60-55 to before falling to number 8. Nebraska Wesleyan 87-51 to on Saturday. Not a bad loss. I hate to say that at a 36-point loss, but that Nebraska Wesleyan team, one of the better teams I've seen. I wish I could have had the opportunity to see them. I hate that hockey and basketball overlapped on both days because I really would have liked to have seen that team play. Everybody who saw those basketball games last weekend said, wow, yeah. that is a legitimate national contender right there. I did the game on iFan, their first game against St. John's with uh, Don Layton. From my fan, and uh, we looked at each other after we got off the air with that game because they mauled St. John's in that second half. I mean, absolutely mauled them, and it was. And I, I say that makes it sound like I, like they ripped their arms off and stuff. I mean, in a basketball sense, they mauled them. Yeah, they overwhelmed them off, you know, physically in that game. Right. And I looked at them at Don, and I said, "That's a national championship level team. Yep. No question about it." They, you know, and when you think about what they brought back, and I didn't realize this until I went and looked in depth at them. One national title in eighteen. We're ranked number one virtually all of last year. Unbeaten. Yeah, unbeaten. Until the tournament. Last year, until the tournament. Yep. Upset by St. Thomas. And they bring back four of their five starters from that team. So that's what the Jail Jackets were facing in that game against Nebraska Wesleyan. A team that's ranked number eight. And it's probably feeling a little bit disrespected at that right. ranking. Yep. And boy, did they take it out on St. John's and the Yellow Jackets. And I hate to say that, but they did. They did. Absolutely. Yeah. And and they have a game coming up with St. Thomas. Not to get too far off track here, but they're playing St. Thomas again in a couple of weeks at a tournament in Chicago. And their radio play-by-play guy said they've had that one circled. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> but Nate Shimonitz, who is their their starting point guard, probably the best guard I've ever seen in, in Division Three. I mean, he can... He's he's a legitimate, I think, either small-time Division One player or high-level D2 player. Against St. John's, he had 26 points and 10 boards. As a point guard, and against the Yellow Jackets, he had 32. So just to give you an idea. Not bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> uh, for the tournament, the Yellow Jackets were led actually by Vid Milinkovic. He averaged a double-double for the tourney, 16.5 points, 10.5 boards. Mac Rechtel was at 15.5 points, and Al Anderson was at 10.5. So not bad. Not bad. Um, you know, I mean, they wish they would have done a little bit more, been a little bit more competitive against right. Nebraska Wesleyan, but everybody does. Yep. You know, and the fact that they mauled St. John's as well, beat them by 23 the night before, yep. you just take it and you go. <laughs> Women's basketball 0-2 on the season. They lost a heartbreaker in their first one, 72-68. You just take it and you go. <laughs> you, do. you do. I mean, that's that's what happens. You know, I mean, you can't dwell on it for too long, and that's basically what Coach Balkowski told me. But anyway, women's basketball 72-68 against Stout in their opener. Lost that one. That was a game they were down by a lot early. Uh, came back. Miserable first quarter. Yeah, horrible first quarter. They were down by 10 at the half. Came back in the third quarter, outscored the Blue Devils by 9, and actually had a four-point lead late before coughing it up a little bit at the end. Um, actually had a chance to win it 
We're down by one in the last like 25 Missed seconds. Missed a couple layups late. Missed a couple layups and then ended up uh, Blue Devils kind of salted away from the line. But 72 68, uh, they lose that one. And then they followed up by losing, unfortunately, last night to a really good Augsburg team, 81 55. That game was one of those situations where Augsburg was just too deep and too talented. It was kind of a microcosm of what happened to the Yellow Jacket men against Nebraska Wesleyan. Yeah, and Augsburg didn't make too many mistakes last night. No, they did not. They did not. They were they were very impressive, I thought. And they're another team. 22 wins last year, missed the NCAA tournament somehow, and brought back four starters. Yeah. And so, again, the Yellow Jacket women, a team that's in transition, you know, that was probably a little bit more than they could – they bit off a little bit more than they can chew last night at this particular point in the season. And hopefully they'll, you know, they'll learn and – they're on the road this weekend going to uh, upstate New York for a couple of games. So, you know, hopefully they uh, they, they show well out there. Yeah, they're, that... they're going out into a, a tournament that's very winnable. Yep. You look at the the other three teams in there, they're all upstate New York teams. Yep. So, yeah, it's a, a field that, just looking at the numbers, it's a very, win- very winnable event for the it Yellow is. Jackets. Yeah, so they could win maybe maybe both games. We'll see how they yep. do out there. Women's hockey had one of the craziest finishes to their game, the one game they played last week that I've ever seen, and I don't know if that'll ever happen again. Have you ever seen that happen in men or women's hockey? I mean, I've, I've seen finishes somewhat similar to that. But for us? No. Okay. No, I typically, yeah, no, not not something like that. I mean, you're, okay. you're looking at, well, dive I'll, into it. Okay, dive into dive what into happened? It. Okay. Yeah. Yellow Jackets overall, okay, so the sum is it of the of the result was a 2-2 overtime tie with Hamlin, the number four ranked team in the country, a team that's been the two straight frozen fours. So that's an impressive result on its face. Right. The way the Yellow Jackets achieved it was a little bit more non-conventional. In fact, it was downright kind of eerie. I talked to Kaylee Martinson about it, and she said, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I've right. never played anything like it in my life. Here's how it happened. The Yellow Jackets were down 2 to nothing, 1940. Well, they gave up a goal. 27 seconds into the game to go behind one nothing. Right. It stayed that way until the last minute because they pulled their goaltender. Oh, wow. Hamlin scores an empty net goal to go up 2 nothing. Right. So, so it's 2 nothing. It's a very fresh 2, two nothing. nothing. Okay. And then... And then <laughs> Kaylee Martinson scores with the extra attacker again on for the Yellow Jackets to make it 2-1. to one. Was it? No. Was it? That one was okay. not an extra attacker goal. Really? No. Okay. His goaltender was still in. So that was a five-on-five. That was a five-on-five. That was a five-on-five goal. Because he was about to say, okay, well, it's 2 nothing. We're yep. Yeah, we're going to play this out. Yes. Okay, so Kaylee Martinson scores from Molly Shelton in 1940 to make it 2-1. to one. Yes. Okay. Then, <laughs> more madness ensues. Yes. Um, <laughs> off the face-off, the Yellow Jackets dump it in. Then they Get pull, the goalie out. Yeah, they pull Katherine Johnson. <laughs> and Jenna Curtis scores the tying goal with, at 1955 with the extra attacker. So five so they, seconds on the clock. Yeah. Yep. From, from Martinson at, to make it a 2-2 draw, and then yes. nothing happens in overtime. Maddie Gamps actually came in to play the overtime session. No. She didn't? That no, was on the box that, score. That was a mistake. Okay, that was a mistake. In, okay. in the box score from him. It was Johnson the whole way? Yes. Okay. Because Catherine Johnson had 31 saves. Yes. Anyway, okay, so now we've got the – but I've never – No, that's a, that's a crazy finish. You gave up an empty net goal. Yes. Then you score five on five. Yes. And then you score the – Extra attacker. Extra attacker yes. goal. All of that <laughs> happened in the last 30 seconds. <laughs> Other than that, nothing happened. No. Yeah. <laughs> but no. I, I was just like, I wanted to pick your brain and see like, if you had ever seen that happen in all your years with UWS men's and women's hockey, have you ever seen that happen in another game, men or women? No. Okay. No, I mean, extra attacker goals are somewhat rare. Right, yeah. You know, so to have anything like that happen, I, no. I, I've Bizarre. I've experienced the, the one goal. Okay. You know, that can cut a, a two-goal deficit and down to one. 
but actually getting the uh, the finish where you score with 20 seconds to go, you score again with five seconds to go on an extra attacker. No. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't remember. It would have been surreal to see it. Yeah, I don't remember anything like that. Okay. So, yeah, they're still undefeated is, is the <laughs> – <laughs> They're still unbeaten on the season. You have two zero one on the season. Crazy way to get it, but that's yep. what happened. And then men's hockey, very impressive this weekend. And I'll let you go into that one. Yellow Jackets defeating uh, St. Mary's seven nothing on Friday, holding off St. Olaf three to two in the second game on Saturday. Not as sharp, but they looked pretty good for the most part. Yeah, Friday night a uh, little bit of a slow start. Um, you know, opening night jitters, sort of an, a new thing for the the freshmen and everything. So I think there was just a little bit of getting their feet underneath them. Um, this the second period in that game was great. The third period, to me though, was was the best part of that game because you had a team down, you had them down three nothing after two, and they come out and score three times in a little over three minutes. Yeah, to, at the beginning of the third period to really push this right. game out of reach. I mean, forty seconds, two oh three and three oh eight. Yeah, and yeah, then they didn't they didn't take their foot off the gas either. They outshot St. Mary's 14-2 to in that period and then added a goal in the final minute. So there was no, all right, we're good sort of thing with right. that team on Friday night. Um, seven different goal scorers. All 12 forwards had at least one point. 15 of your 19 skaters had at least one point. Your goalie pitches a shutout. Everything went just about the way I think Coach would want it to go. It was a, a game where they... A lot of good things happened for a lot of different players, but also there was enough that didn't go well to be able to talk about and have something to work on. Right, and then the next day, three power play goals. Three power play goals, which is nice. Uh, a little disconcerting that you're not accomplishing what you want to offensively at 5-on-5, five five, but, yeah, the power play showed up in a big way. The PK was good again. You know, just they, it, it sort of they lacked that sharpness a little bit. It was a... Uh, Little more of a grudge match than than Friday night was. I mean, there every inch of ice was contested on Saturday. Yeah. So it was a little bit of a different beast, but at the end of the day, they get they got what they needed. Yeah. And Andrew Durham, nice weekend, three goals and an assist. Jordan Martin with four assists. Yep. So Durham nice. was named WIAC Player of the Week this week too. That just oh, nice. came out here about an hour ago. So, okay. Congratulations yeah. to him. He deserved it. Yeah. I thought they played did. well. So absolutely. And they're actually off this coming, which is weird. Yeah. The, the schedule is really strange. Goofy and, schedule. Yeah. So. Uh, you know they so won't they, be pl- they've got a little bit of time to do some things and work on some stuff, which is good because they've got a pretty stiff test coming up next week. Yeah, it's going to be tough, and we'll talk more about that in our final segment. Yep. So that's the week that was for Yellow Jacket Sports. We'll take a break and come back, and when we do, we will have Yellow Jacket head men's soccer coach Joe Mooney with us. You're listening to the Eye of the Swarm. Sports broadcasts on 91.3 FM are made possible in part by Barker's Island Inn of Superior. The Barker's Waterfront Grill offers breakfast, lunch, and dinner overlooking the harbor. More at BarkersIslandInn.com, northern Wisconsin's island getaway. We're back on the Eye of the Swarm, and this week we're... uh, Diving into the NCAA end of the pool as the Yellow Jacket men's soccer team is about to embark on their third consecutive trip to the NCAA tournament. And it's only appropriate that head coach Joe Mooney join us to talk a little bit about the NCAA soccer world as uh, your team kind of old hat now, I guess, is uh, the first time is all brand new. Second time, okay, we've been here now. It's like, okay, it's old hat. This is what we do. Let's let's take another step, right? Sure, we can go with that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, you know, uh, to be honest, I don't think we're ever really, uh, you know, anything but excited to be there, right? I mean, it's it's a 
it's a hard thing to do. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a tough conference. It's a tough region. And so to be able to represent the conference and the region, you know, at the, at the national level is a, is a pretty cool thing. So I think the guys are still, yeah, they're on cloud nine a little bit. Yeah. It's going to be a little different this year because you're not relegated to playing at St. Thomas and uh, your first two trips, obviously you, you were just in St. Paul now, a little bit of a little longer trip, but uh, not completely foreign territory for you. Yeah, I mean, we obviously were down at uh, Luther earlier this year, so we've we've been there. We we know the the complex, the field, everything. Um, you know, uh, the trip I think is is uh, kind of uh, I think it, it kind of adds to the experience a little bit. You know, that we are going somewhere different, and um, I think the guys are a little bit excited about just kind of seeing you know new territory and and uh, you know just not being in the same place. I think it adds a little bit to the just the tournament um, you know setting a bit. Surprise, St. Thomas wasn't in. A little bit, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I kind of was too. And yeah. watching the selection show with you and your team yesterday, and they didn't come up. That was one of the first things everybody kind of looked at each other when St. Thomas didn't get in. So I was curious if, from your standpoint, that was a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, you know, and I, and I feel for for their squad and for you know head coach John Lowry down there. And I think they had a terrific season. Um, you know, and it's, it all comes down to numbers, right? And right. so, uh, just uh, you know, I think that there were probably a few other teams that were. I mean. You know, right on the bubble, and and you know, at that point, when you look at those teams that are on the bubble, I mean, this is any sport at any level. There, it's a coin flip, right? And there's always going to be a few teams that you wonder how do they not get in, and it just, you know, they they've got to cut the the line at some point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So before we dive further into the regional that you're going to be placed in, let's uh, let's look at how we got here, and uh, so because the first time we had you here, it was our our very first Eye of the Swarm, and you know. About a hundred degree swing between then and now, <laughs> so a uh, hundred degree swing for your your first game of the year to the next right. one coming up. That's for sure. But let's let's take a little bit of a look. You guys won the conference regular season championship, got the bye in the first round, and uh, entered playoffs last week, playing on on Wednesday your your first game. So take us through that. Yeah, uh, you know I think the the season went. Uh, it was a little bit up and down for us, to be honest. Um, we had a lot of injuries, you know, toward the early to mid stage of the season that, um, you know, we weren't expecting. And, and I mean, you always have to battle through injuries. That's that's part of the game. But, you know, the fact that they kind of piled on us, you know, uh, all at the same time was tough. I mean, uh, Scott Wilson being out for, you know, an eight, nine game stretch there with, with his foot. And then, um, you know, we had uh, two of our goalkeepers go down as well. So, um, you know, just uh, I think there was like a nine or ten game stretch where we didn't start the same back four, uh, you know, in two consecutive games, which was just hard to develop that chemistry and, and everything. So um, I feel like we, we kind of pulled out of that and then kind of hit our stride a little bit. So right at the right time, you know, um, and, uh, you know, getting into the, the conference tournament and being able to uh, be the one seed and host throughout, I think was a big advantage in, in that realm. Um, the Martin Luther game, I, I thought they were fantastic. Um, another team, just a lot of spirit, a lot of uh, grit to them. Uh, we knew it was going to be a tough game. I think, you know, being able to get up early on them was was huge, you know, um, you know, it forced them to have to play out a little bit, and, and we were able to expose uh, a few things, uh, you know, in that game, then a, a little bit more than we maybe normally would have been able to. So, um, and then just getting some some big plays from big players, you know, and and uh, you know, seeing Doye and Watson and Perry all get on the score sheet in that game, I think was huge. Miguel had a fantastic tournament, and and just all around, um, I think that you know you could just see it kind of click for for the entire squad. The Martin Luther game was interesting to me because. People were going back to the regular season match and saying, "Oh, geez, that was double overtime." I mean, this is, you know, th- this this could be a 
one heck of a match. And in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure about that because I think it was clear that your team was obviously much better than they were. Not taking into account that when you were down there, torrential rains, field conditions, standing water, standing yep. water, and things that oftentimes work against the better team. And I don't think people were thinking about that. And so you really just quashed all that with a monster first half. And, you know, the second half was basically all academic after that. Sure. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that um, there were some elements at play in the in the first time that we played them at, at their place. Uh, there were some equalizers there. But I think, you know, what we were most concerned with, you know, going into a playoff scenario is, you know, while I think that we probably match up very well against them, um, you know, they've got a good goalkeeper who can keep the ball to the net, and they've got a really, really good forward in Joe Grauman, who was last year's uh, conference MVP, offensive MVP. And so, I mean, that's an elephant, or uh, I guess a recipe for, for disaster, right? Like when you've got, you're going to have a hard time scoring goals, and you've got a guy that can punish you on, on any given play um, in a one-off scenario, like that's a, that's a tough thing to battle against. So I think, again, it was just it was extremely important for us to get up early in that game. So then you get the victory Wednesday, sets the stage for what has kind of become a, a rite of passage for early November in the UMAC, uh, UNC and Scholastica in the championship. And, you know, it, it's the standard cliche, throw the records out the window, however you want to put it. These two teams get together, you know it's going to be a grudge match. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you know, we had we had seen them earlier in the year, uh, a 1-0 game at their place. Again, some elements at play there, uh, you know, almost freezing rain and, you know, uh, strong, strong wind, sideways rain. I mean, just all of it, right? So there were some, some equalizers in that one. Um, but I think we knew that Scholastica was going to be very good. I mean, they're, they always are, right? Like, they're, they're a very well-established program, uh, great club over there. Uh, we knew they'd be well coached, very organized. Um, you know, I knew that there would be a lot of tenacity in the, you know, in the way that they played. And so, um, I think we knew it was going to be kind of a back and forth game. I thought maybe it would be more like a one-zero game, like the first time, you know, or a one-one or a two-one kind of thing. I didn't expect six goals, you know, in the game. So, um, you know, I think, you know, if you were a fan that tuned into that game, what a, what a treat to watch that, you know, the the parity within the game, the back and forth, and then, you know, just getting to see six goals and some real, you know, stunners uh, on both sides was, was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a joy to broadcast it. Um, I was expecting it to be nip and tuck pretty much throughout. Um, seven yellow cards, five of them against them. I was expecting that too. Uh, it's a rivalry game. The guys are very well acquainted with one another. Um you know, and a lot of these guys also play in summer ball with each other and stuff like that and see each other around. So, um, you know, for the most part, it went about how I expected as far as statistically goes. Um, I kind of expected it. I mean, the first time you guys played him, you outshot him, I think, 17 to 6. This time it was 18 5, so it was pretty much in the same realm as far as how the game actually the flow went. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a couple of those goals that were scored, you know, Miguel had a great one off that free kick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it took a deflection, but it was really well placed. Uh, and I got to say this: that Mally Lumsden's goal, nothing Dalton could have done on that one. Yeah, that was, was just a, a turn and goal. fire. He heard it, he hit it sweetly, and you watch it on the video; like he knew it as soon as it came off his yeah. foot. Like hats off to him. And That's... you and I both know Mally from Duluth FC, yep. so um, he, I mean, and that was their first shot of the game. They scored on their first two shots, which was kind of a rarity. I, I had not seen that in a while. Uh, I was counting the minutes as to how long Dalton's streak of not having to make a save had been. It was over 120, maybe even up to 130 before that goal went in, or before he made a save in the second half. 
Um, but you know, for the most part, you know, you guys had the one defensive mistake after you, you, you know, the, the own goal they scored. But other than that, I thought you guys were pretty much flawless defensively. I mean, nothing you can do about Malley's. That one was 25, 30 yards out. It was, it was back to goal. He just turned and fired that thing. And sometimes you hit a ball in the sweet spot and it goes in. But uh, Blake Perry's goal. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that on that one because um, as soon as he scored it, I heard John in the press box next to me say, wow, what a goal that was. And that was one of those where if you're a keeper, that's that's on the embarrassing side. And you could see Corey Bullheller was like, oh, man, because he got caught off of his line. He came cheating out off trying to cut it down the angle, a little bit overzealous about it. And Perry, credit to him, that's a goal scorer's goal. I mean, that's a true goal scorer's goal. When you can see that coming out and then just mm-hmm. flipping it over the top. I mean, I don't know how much Blake saw, but he seemed to have the feel to know exactly what he needed to do and – you know, that's why he scored 14 goals this year. Yeah, yeah. I I would say, you know, I don't know if if embarrassing is the right word for it. I think that if you're, you know, if you're a goalkeeper, at some point you're gonna you're gonna see a goal like that be scored on you, right? And you know, it, it credit to Bullheller really in terms of like I think he did a good job at, at getting off his line and cutting off some of our play. I think he knew that our front three was going to be pretty formidable, you know, and they play in a back three, right? So as a goalkeeper, you have to be a little bit more, um, you know, aggressive off your line. And so it puts you in some of those those perilous situations at times. Um, and with a guy like Blake Perry, you know that at some point he's going to get in behind your defense, right? And so you're always looking for that. And, and had Perry gone 1v1 with him, you know, he would have been in a great position to probably stop that. But, you know, to not anticipate Perry had that vision to look up, see he was off his line, and then just, you know, really kind of drop it in there, teardrop, just a really sweet finish on his part. Like, I think that's one of those where, you know, as a goalkeeper, yeah, it's tough to watch the ball come over your head like that, but, like, you got to turn around and just kind of tip your hat to him. Same thing, you know, for Dalton and, and Malley, right? Like, and that's, you know, I guess was going to be my point is, you know, from a defensive standpoint, what we've really tried to get our guys to latch onto is, you know, really not allow a lot of, I guess, what we call spec goals, right, set pieces, yeah errors in our defense and counterattack goals. And if you can eliminate those goals, and then it's really just the goals that you're getting scored on are goals like Malley's where it's like if somebody creates a special play, like turn around, give them a, a high five, you know, give them a, you know, a shout and say, like, good for you, right? Yeah. And if we're, if we're eliminating the rest of the goals and we're just allowing goals like that, defensively I think we're doing our job. And, again, it's like that's one of those goals where for Malley you just got to say, like, that's a special play. That you was know, well done. Uh, both the first, the first two goals were both really nice plays by those guys. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I, I couldn't argue with with the finishes on either one of those two. I mean, those and it set nice the stage goals. for a great second half, right? It like, did, you right. know, to go in one one at halftime, I thought really, you know, it was it was good for us. I think to have to battle through that adversity, um, you know, and I think it shows some of the class on their part too, in terms of like there's some some there was some really strong senior leadership, guys like Dodd, guys like Armin, you know, guys that really I think. You know, showed that they weren't just going to kind of like lay down in that game. Like we got up one nothing, and and you know, to be fair to them, they had a, a tough season, right? Like, right. Yeah, um, drop some results here and there throughout the season, but so to be in a playoff scenario and, and know your season's on the line and step up in the way that they did, I give them a lot of credit for for the way that their their seniors responded and, and kind of led them through that game. Well, and going to that second half, it seemed like the own goal kind of started a, a crazy sequence of things that happened in that second half. Yeah, uh, the own goal uh, we talked about before we went on the air, but. It was one of those own goals that is just, as a former defender myself, that's one of those where you you think of, you're going to think about that one for a few weeks, even not just a few minutes, <laughs> you know, it, because that was one of those where, you know, as a defender, you're you're always taking a chance when you play back to your to your to your keeper, right? I mean, that's always a, a risk that when you play it back there, you know, 
it's it's you know he's got to handle it and I you know you, you're worrying about you know am I going to put in a place where he can get to it am I putting too much on it hopefully he gets a touch on it blah 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 that one just seemed like it was a miscommunication between those two and you know <laughs> I felt bad I mean I almost on the air I, I almost was like oh my goodness I think I said holy smokes on the goal because I it was so unexpected it was just a straight little hitter back yeah and nine time, times out of ten more than that actually more like ninety nine out of a hundred times. A keeper's going to pick that ball up and be okay with it and be able to. But for whatever reason, Ballhuller was caught leaning the wrong way. And yeah. He tried to reach back for it, and it was in the back of the net. And then the really crazy part of the game kind of ensued from there. Yeah, and I think you know on, on that play in particular, it's one of those. And and you know we had scored a uh, an own goal against St. Norbert this year, right? Right. Um, yeah. You know, and it's it's the same thing I told Felix uh, after he had scored that one. And what a great finish by Felix, by the way, on that header. Like he I talked about that one. <laughs> he actually crushed that. He thing. made he no doubt, right? Yeah. Like that thing, that thing might have ripped some of the threads in the in the net. Like he really put it. I, home, I said know? that too. I, think we, I said that in the podcast afterward. I yeah. said Felix got a really good. Like I mean, that was a good yeah. finish. It was yeah. just happened to be behind Dalton instead of where we needed to go. You know, but I. You know what I told him, and I would say the same thing to Tran and Bullheller there. You know, like you know, if you're playing defender long enough, you're you're gonna you're gonna score a goal. On you. Like it just, if you don't, I feel like you're not trying hard enough, right? You're right, not yeah. trying to do the right things, and and you're just you're not putting yourself in in peril, or you're not stepping up in those those situations. So, you know, it, it's it's just going to happen. You know, and and I think that it was more, I think kind of a um, a byproduct of some of the pressure that we had put on them, you know, uh, where, you know, if, if there's enough dangerous balls that are being played into the box, at some point they're going to mishandle something, you know, and it's one of those classic scenarios, and we've seen it on our end too, where, you know, in a, in a high-pressure game, you know, your goalkeeper makes all the big saves, right, and it's on that moment where they can relax a little bit, where they almost have too much time a lot of times you see those balls just trickle in, and I think that it's it's just indicative of, of kind of the pressure that that we had put on. So you know I don't I don't look at it as you know necessarily like this this glaring mistake that that they should be you know kind of woeful of. It's more so like that was you know I think indicative of, of the tempo of the game. Right. Um, you know that that, we, that both sides had seen. Well, right? it was a clear miscommunication. I mean, it was one of those where if it was me that had that ball back, I would have gone up to him and I would have said. I'll take the blame for that. I, you know, I don't know, if, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm not sure what the conversation was, obviously, between Bull Heller and the defender, but, um, but you know, that, that's a tough one. Well, I, I don't mean, think that, they talked about it very long, did they? I mean, they scored yeah, well, with 90 seconds later. And that's was what it? I was yeah. going to say yeah. is, you know, they it it bothered them, but not for very long because yep. they answered immediately. Yep. Yeah, they yep. did. And, but that's one of those. Even as a, as an outside defender, that sticks with you for a little bit. You feel better when your team comes back down because that's you know when they came right back and scored. I thought, okay. Well, now now we got it. We can play on. And I would have actually felt bad if that would have been the decider. If it would have been two to one on an own goal, I sure. would have felt bad about it. <laughs> well, because I wanted to get Matt, your, yeah, you. Yeah, you may have been remorseful. I would have been. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, still celebrating. Still celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for for being a former defender, being in that spot, <laughs> because then you say, well, our miscommunication cost us a chance to go to the NCAA tournament. That's that sticks with you for a while. So that's just the human side. I, I mean, think the thing that stuck out for me though, Matt, was and, and it gets back to what I was saying before. How quickly they responded, oh, you know, right, and, yeah. and I think if you look at just again, guys like Armin and Dodd and Mally and just you know the the leadership that they displayed in that moment, um, that was you know uh, you know it's not my team, it's not my side, but like I was, uh, you know, I was proud of those guys for the way that they responded, yeah. you know, and I, and I know those guys, I've worked camp with those guys, right? And, yeah, I mean, you know, seen them at different, you know, try, like Armin plays with half our guys over the summer and stuff like so, you the know, ties to, are deep to, between to the two see teams. them, yeah. 
you know, kind of respond the way they did. I, like I said, I, I was proud of them for, for doing that. And then proud of our guys for, you know, twice kind of letting a lead go and then kind of finding their, their rhythm and, and way to, to really kind of stick it out in the end and, and finally find that gap, you know. Well, I wanted to hear what you thought, being the non-soccer guy amongst us, because you were in the press box next to me, and I heard you say after the goal by Perry, what a great goal. And that sequence between those two goals, what were you thinking at that point? Basically, okay, this is going to be a classic UWS-CSS match. This is going right, to yeah. mm-hmm. go to the end. This is going to be a one-goal game. Mm-hmm. You know, all those kinds of things. Well, and the I mean, change. The, nothing, and... you know, it, it, it's just funny because, okay, there's an own goal. It's a, a huge break. Right. This is a really good thing for us. And then they didn't even really allow the momentum to swing because they came down and did their yeah. thing like you were just talking about. So it's like, okay, this is this is going to be a classic match. The own goal thing for, for me, it's – I come from a hockey background. It happens all the time in hockey. Right, yeah. You, you're Defense banking on it almost happens as an, as all the attacker, time right? in hockey yeah. where something bounces off a defender and goes in. That happens all the time. Skate or whatever. Yeah, yeah. skate, and anything. And, yeah. I mean, I've actually – played games with guys who have rifled it into their own net. Yep. I mean, that kind of stuff. Yeah. It happens Yeah, a lot more often in that sport. So I guess I just don't think of it as right. a yeah. huge devastating thing. Absolutely. Where in, in your sport it can be because sure. it's, it's much less frequent. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's less frequent. It just There's just more space around you, right? Like, But I think, you know, the concept is the same between the two sports, right? If you're putting the puck or the ball right. in a dangerous spot enough times, good things are going to happen for you, right? And whether mm-hmm. that's you finishing it or the other team, like you're you're going to take kind of credit for playing the game the right way, right? Yeah. yeah. Or at exactly. least I, I certainly no, will. Yeah. It, right? Exactly. You're, it's exactly. That's exactly yeah. right. The, only, the, the biggest difference is nobody gets credit for it in your sport. And in hockey, somebody on the team that gets the goal gets the right. goal. Yeah, the last right. There are no team it, goals. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's that's the big difference. Yeah. But, you know, the uh, you're, you, you kind of touched on it. I want you just to expand a little bit more. We talked about Saint Scholastica's answer and your team's answer to the answer, yeah, that, which ultimately was what pushed you onto the win. Obviously, yeah, your guys really responded well, especially Miguel. Yeah, in a, in a yeah. position where it could have been the oh god, they just scored on themselves, and now they just scored on us. Right, and, you know, nothing's going right, and but it was the opposite. Yeah, and I think you know. You look at that; it could have been a huge momentum shift for them, um, and I think it, it, it did. It, it stopped our momentum certainly, you know. And I think that it, it really speaks to the character that that our guys have. You know, you look at the leadership amongst our team, you know, whether it's Wadi or Danny or you know Dalton or you know any of the upperclassmen, and you know, and then just fill in the, the rest, right? Um, I think that it, it shows that our guys really have done a good job of, of finding, you know, kind of that mental presence of staying in the present moment, right? Like it's not about what has just happened. It's not about, do we have the momentum or not? Like it's more about what is the task at hand right now? And it's, you know, whether the, the score is one zero in our favor or we're down two one, or we've just gone up and now tied or whatever, like not letting that really dictate the way we play and more so just what is the, the task at hand, which is to, get on the score sheet and not concede a goal, you know. And so um, I think our guys did a really good job of, of kind of just kind of flushing that very quickly and getting back on the offensive and, and really, um, you know, getting back to our game plan, which I think they did very well. Yeah, so you get the Miguel with the great goal on, on the free kick and then adding another one 
later on in yeah, the like, half yeah, to seven give or eight you, minutes later. Yeah, to yeah. give you a little bit of breathing room there. And I think that was kind of the time where everybody could sense, okay, we've got this. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I'm sure it was the same because that's all it was up where we were. I'm sure it was the same at field level for you too. Yeah. Where you guys are okay, we're we're in good shape now. Yeah. And to be honest, like I you know, I think I did feel that way a little bit once we got that second goal, uh, or the fourth goal, right? Like the the two goal lead. Um, but I give a lot of credit for the guys for not really mailing it in, you know, after that fact. Like I don't think they let themselves relax, you know, and, and I think it's a good thing because I do think that Scholastica challenged, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, for the last 15 minutes of the game, like I think they could have equalized at any point. And, um, you know, I think our guys did a really nice job of, of seeing the game out and, you know, treating it the right way. Um, you know, and especially in a championship game, you can't relax for a second, right? Um, so even though, you know, we at a point we got, you know, all of our seniors on and, you know, made sure that they, you know, were on in, in that game, like guys went on and I think did, did their job. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I mean, it, and I, you and I have talked, we've talked quite a bit about what's going on with the team and things. It must have been especially gratifying for you for a couple of reasons to have Miguel score that winner. First of all, it was Miguel that got it. Um, because there's a lot of focus, of course, on Perry and on Waddy up top and, you know, some of the other guys in the back with A.J. It's kind of, you know, back, you know, he's basically been the anchor of the back line and Scott coming back. But Miguel's been a little bit overlooked maybe in that, in that, I mean, he has now eight goals on the year, which is great. But as a center midfielder, he has kind of a thankless job because he's supposed to go up and back. And then he kind of, you know, on the on transition, he's in charge of making sure that the offense runs well. Uh, nice to see him, like I said, get the two goals, especially, you know, the free kick goal. And the other thing is, you and I had talked earlier in the year that the free kicks this year have been a little bit off the mark, you felt like. And so how nice was it for him to get off of a set piece, get the what turned out to be the game winner? Yeah, so, you know, I think you mentioned uh, it is easy at times for midfielders to get overlooked a little bit, like, but I don't think that we as a team have overlooked Miguel's value whatsoever. And I think that if if we look at one of the, the big turning points in the year, um, I think obviously getting getting Scott back and healthy and, and really solidifying things in our back line has helped. Getting our goalkeepers healthy and, and having you know really all, all three of them uh, you know that have seen minutes this year just do uh, an outstanding job has been big. But I think one of the big things that you know could get overlooked was we we moved Miguel from kind of a traditional number eight spot where he's kind of a box to box midfielder to more of a number 10 role where he's staying a bit higher his job is to is to create is to you know kind of be the focal point of the attack um and i think when we did that it really opened things up for us i think it made us much more potent on the uh, offense and and i think that he um has been a a big part of that like and and maybe that switch is is the biggest switch that we made this year in terms of i think that really kind of um unlocked a lot for us you know and so um, I don't think that his value could could be overlooked at all in terms of like when our offense really got clicking. It was I think a, in big part due to Miguel's play. Well, and some of his free kick goals have been fantastic. I can't remember the what game was it where he hit the screamer into the corner. I can't remember North Central. Yeah, yeah, the North yeah. Central game where he he absolutely just I mean that was a rocket. Yeah, yeah. he absolutely he, that was a great goal. He, he <laughs> yeah. struck that one pretty sweetly, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know the one against Saints Glasgow. We've always known that he could serve a ball from the back, but it's nice to see him getting now in his junior year, a little bit more time up, you know, in the middle where he can actually go towards goal with it. Um, you know, you and I talked about this uh, coming into this year with Miguel that he kind of, him taking over kind of that, like you said, that number 9, 10 role as far as on the offense, it, it kind of fits him, you know. Like, I mean, he's got the skill set for it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you lost the two center midfielders from last year, him kind of sliding into that role kind of made a lot of sense. I mean, it was kind of a natural fit for him. 
And, uh, you know, I mean, he takes corners on the right foot sometimes. Uh, his free kicks have really improved as the year has gone on. Uh, he's getting them on frame now. And, you know, I, I was happy to see him get not only the what turned out to be the game winner, but also the insurance goal, too, because I thought he really earned it based on how he played because he really did kind of dictate midfield. And you guys did dominate in the midfield, and, and he was a big part of it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll give you a little insight into kind of what our staff has said, you know, and it's been, you know, probably three, four games consecutively where we've turned to each other at some point in the game and just said, man, Miguel is having a game. Like, this is the best game we've seen him play. And when you can do that consecutively, you know, in games and, and do that in, you know, the last few games of the season leading up into the postseason, like, that's exactly what you would want from a player, to see that development, to see that buy-in throughout the year, and to see him just kind of, you know everything that we've we've given to him in terms of like criticism or you know just evaluation and just try to help him you know mold himself into this role he's taken and internalized that and really i think used it to to kind of crank out a better product on the other end right so um it, it shows and and you mentioned uh, I'll I'll just kind of drop in quick on on the set pieces i think that's been a really big part of what has helped us too is not even just you know free kicks but uh our corner kicks you know, and you've seen a lot of goals now that have come from, you know, from Miguel, from Perry, that they're serving just great balls in. We've had guys that have been hungry on the other side of it, and that's something that going into, into a tournament scenario, you never know. Like, that that set-piece goal might be the difference maker, you know, and a lot of times it is. And so, you know, if, if we're remaining potent on those going into the into the postseason here, like, that I think could be a, a big key for us. Well, you guys hit the bar off of a corner kick in the first 10 minutes. Hit the crossbar square, and yep. I I thought that one was going in. Yeah, and was it Felix that got his head to that one? Was that yeah. that's what I thought yeah. it was? Yeah, because I thought Felix was going to come in and 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 for the second time on that goal, rip the back of the net, yeah. going back to the wink wink. Yeah, because that was the goal that also had the own goal. <laughs> right, but I thought he was going to put that one away, and it and it bounded off the bar, and I thought, okay, well, that corner kick looked good, everything but the finish, <laughs> you know. So, um. Yeah, I mean, it, that was good. I, I want to go also, though, back to the back four and your depth back there a little bit, just for one second here, because mm-hmm. I noticed late in the second half, even as you guys were up just by a goal, you still weren't hesitant to put the new defenders in there. And at one point, you had three of your back four were substitutes. The only guy that was start, you know, that was in the lineup at one point in that second half that starts and plays just about every minute was A.J. Olsen. Everybody else was, was new. Yeah. You know, Scott had come out for a little bit. You had a new left back and a new right back in there at that yeah. one time. So in, in the first half, yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I, was, I was impressed that you felt enough faith in your guys to be able to do that because a lot of coaches wouldn't do that in a game like this. They would have kept their starters in there as long as possible. Yeah, you know, and I think it was something where I, we, you know, as a staff, we evaluated those decisions after the game and, and we looked at it and said, I mean, we did concede during that time, you know, uh, where it was 1-0, we made a lot of substitutions, not just in the back line, but in the midfield and forwards as well. I think we had you know nine out of our original 11 starters off at that point, and we did concede a goal at that time. And so you look at that and say, was that the right move? But I would also say that I think that we did a good job of saving legs, and in the second half, I think that paid dividends, right? So it's it's a balance of, you know, do you, do you trust your guys enough to, you know, to let them get you through a half? Um, or to you know to step up and maybe even you know be a difference maker, um, or do you want to you know go with the guys that you selected at the beginning of the game? And I think that we are deep enough where we can make some of those subs. And again, I, you know, it was a we we conceded, but I, I also do think it was a special goal that that was you know uh, put in against us. So um, you know, I think if I could do it over again, I would do it the exact same way. And I think those guys stepped up. I mean, you look at guys like Noah Merritt, um, Flavio, you know, as a senior, uh, Jeffrey as a junior, like. They did well, you know, and and um, 
Uh, you know, I think that there's, you know, the, the starting lineup above them is, you know, they're a notch above, you know, right. just in terms yeah. of ability at this point. They're older, they're more developed, they're, you know, um, they have more experience, but I think that it shows um, just how confident we can be with, with other guys in the back line. Well, and the fact, and I'll let John get in here with a question in a second here, but even the fact that you moved Carter Tess, who had played left outside back in, in spelling Blake Hansen against Martin Luther, he was playing more of a defensive midfielder role for you, mm-hmm. so he changed com- positions completely from the semifinal to the tournament final game, which yeah. says a lot for him as a freshman to be able to move him around that much. He's I extremely mean. versatile, and, and you know one of the things we saw in the St. John's game when we were down there a few weeks back was you know that was a 1-0 game, and it got very... Uh, you know, very strenuous at the end, right? I mean, there was a, they put a lot of pressure on us, and you know, we went to Carter for some for some fresh legs at one point in the second half against them, and he did a great job, you know, and and was really uh, I think one of the keys to, to us winning that game and kind of pulling out that one zero result. So, you know, he I think kind of uh, he put a lot of uh, confidence into the coaching staff to to be able to go to him, you know, uh, this time around. So, get the victory. Blake Perry's the MVP. Everything is as it should be, and uh, yesterday now we find out where we're going this weekend. We talked, touched on it briefly, but you know, heading to Iowa, a track you're familiar with, and uh, first round opponent um, team making their their first tournament appearance, like it was you a couple of years ago. Talk to me a little bit about what you know about uh, the round one opposition. Yeah, I mean. Uh... Not a lot. Uh, we've gotten a couple of scouting reports now. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get some video at some First point off, as well. First off, it's, it's Central. Central, yep. <laughs> out central of, Pe- of Iowa. Yeah. Of, of Pella, Iowa. Yep. So, yep. yes, let's start out with who the opponent okay, is, so I guess. We are, we are playing Central. <laughs> We're going down to Decor to play them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, fantastic season for them. Um, you know, nationally ranked for a good chunk of the season. They've got some really good results there. Um, did well in, in a tough conference. Um, you know, and I think that uh, they will be, um, you know, everything you would expect out of a tournament team. And they're, I believe, was it 14, 17 in the country? Number right 14, now? Right 14. Right now. 14. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, a formidable opponent. Is the, do you, are there going to be first, first time tournament jitters? I mean, is that, I imagine there is going to be some of that because I know my first trip, I was like, wow, this is, a little bit bigger deal than yep. than anything we're playing in previously. Yeah. So I is it an opportunity for you guys to capitalize early? Do you know? Do you do you bank on that a little bit, or does that not even enter your mind? I mean, no more than than any other game, right? Like obviously we want to capitalize early and we want to try to uh, take advantage of you know anything that we can get on uh, early on in the game. But um, I I look at that and say you know you could look and say that there's you know. Uh, first round jitters or first time jitters or uh, you know a lack of experience or whatever but I also think there's a lack of anything to lose at that point too right, right? and so that can be a very dangerous team and I think they're they're going to come in they're going to be very hungry to to kind of prove that they have belonged all along um, I think that they're going to be very confident they should be confident you know you look at the results you look at some of the guys that have been getting on the score sheet multiple times throughout the year they will come in with a lot of confidence, and so I think it's a, that's a recipe for a very dangerous team when you're extremely confident, um, you know, and you're extremely hungry, and you feel like you have nothing to lose. Like that, that can be a very dangerous team to come up against. Yeah, the other two teams in the in the regional with you, obviously Luther, who you have familiarity with because you've played them mm-hmm. over the years and this year. What about the fourth team that's there? Yeah, Principia. I know nothing about them. I had to look up where they were yesterday. So, I'm, <laughs> where are they? <laughs> they're they're down by St. Louis. I think they're a little bit north, or northeast of St. Louis. Yeah, okay, yeah. Because I'd never heard of them before either, and I was like, boy, that's 
that's a new one. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, but a relatively unknown then, um, unknown team to you, and but you're you're obviously not gonna worry too much about that. You're gonna be worry more about the the first opponent of this whole thing. Yeah. But, you know, so we know where, we know who, we know when. It's gonna be Saturday afternoon, three thirty. Three thirty. Yeah. I believe is is when your your game is gonna happen. So, what does the rest of the week look like then? Uh, practice changed? Are you? You know, obviously, your guys were complaining about having to go outside in single-digit temperatures to <laughs> yeah. practice today. But yeah. you know, in a way, I think that might even be an advantage because they say it's going to be cold down there. Yeah. But cold in Decorah, Iowa, is a little bit different than cold on the shore of Lake Superior. Right. So right. we're just getting into golfing weather right now. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, wearing shorts today. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. Not really. But, yeah. You know, I mean. Advantage? Do you, you guy? Do you think about that at all? Do you just push that out of your mind? Say, just go play and just you know do what we're gonna do. What does the rest of the week look like for you that way? Yeah, I mean, really, we're we're trying to keep it as as similar to to the last few weeks as we can, you know. And I think that the the mentality is, you know, if we were doing things right, we should have been training like you know every game was was a playoff game throughout the year, right? And so if if we truly had that mentality throughout the year we shouldn't change anything at this point. Right. You know, and so um, I think tactically, you know, we, we're we not looking to develop much at this point. It's more so like maintenance, keeping guys healthy, keeping guys sharp, um, keeping guys competitive, having that, you know, that edge about them a little bit. Um, so I think today we'll, we'll train outside. Um, tomorrow will be kind of a day off, uh, like a pool recovery or maybe a yoga session. Uh, shout out to Jenna, who's been working with our team all, all year on, on yoga. Um, you know, and then Thursday will be a, a more intense session. Friday we'll train down in Decora. Um, and then Saturday it, it's go time. You know, and you, you talked about having that mentality throughout the year. And we've commented before about the ruggedness of your non-conference schedule. You know, I mean, you you built a real meat grinder for your team this year. And, I mean, that's this is what it was for. And your guys, they understand that? That the the tough matches that you put in there from the very beginning all the way through the year, that the reason you did that is so to get to this point and to know that there's not a team left in this thing that that they can't play with. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if consciously if they you know if they've looked at kind of what the reasons are for it, but I do think that they understand it. And I think that it you know again whether they're aware of it or not, I think it has given them some of that confidence. I think it's given them some of that just kind of you know battle uh, battle tested mentality of. You know, there really isn't anybody in the tournament that we're going to see that will be much better than anybody we have seen, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I hope that it, you know, has been a good byproduct for them that they, they do feel like, you know, they're they're prepped for this. Well, I, I the advantage of now being, you know, three years in a row not going to the NCAAs also helps. I mean, it's something of a cliche. Yeah, veteran team, blah, blah, blah. But they're not going to be necessarily stunned. Your guys are not going to necessarily be stunned by the lights. And all of a sudden, this is the NCAA tournament. We're in a single knockout now. I mean, granted that the conference tournament is always a single knockout, but it's different on the national level. When you go to a national tournament, it's a little bit different. The atmosphere is a little bit different. There's more attention. You've got NCAA people running around. Uh, they're going to, you know, they interview the players and the coaches after each game. I mean, there's there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, but you've got a veteran team. I mean, especially up top and the guys that, uh, you know, have, have – you know that that really produced for you in ca- in cases like this. They've seen the bright lights. They've been under those lights before. This is nothing really necessarily new for them. So that's also a bit of an advantage, I would think, for your guys. Yeah, you know, I think even more so than just kind of like the the allure of of playing at the national tournament level. 
Uh, I think the one big thing that I noticed in the in the first year, like the difference between the first year and second year that we were there was the first year I felt like it was very much about just the experience. You know, just this is our first time. You know, moment. we're going to enjoy every right. moment. Yep. yep, win or lose, it's all good, right? Where last year I felt like our guys were, were much more business-oriented. It was very much about, like, this is another game, and this is another game that we have been charged to go and win, right? And so um, I think that just that switch in mentality – um, has been really good for us. And now we've got, you know, uh, all of our juniors and seniors have had that experience now two times where I, I think that it's been much more. And you just you see it in the guys' faces. You you hear it in the way that they talk. It's, you know, this is not about, you know, kind of the, the fancy, you know, allure of going to an NCAA tournament. This is about next game on the schedule and going off to win that game. Yeah, I mean, I, I would totally agree. I mean, I felt like... You know, I, I, you know, and looking back on your previous tournament appearances, you know, that first game, uh, the first time you guys played against St. Thomas, really good St. Thomas team, you guys pushed them right to the wire. And that was kind of a wild game. There were a couple of red cards in there as well, but you guys pushed them right to the end. Then last year you go out and uh, play, the, you know, an Augsburg team that you were familiar with, um, you know, and beat them before playing St. Thomas again in the second round. So it is a little bit different in the sense that you're playing a team that you don't know as much about, that you haven't seen in a while. Because you guys had seen St. Thomas before, you had seen right. Augsburg before. Um, obviously, you know, and with Augsburg, I mean, I know you're, you're pretty good friends with their head coach, so mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a different deal in that case. But with a team like Central, it is kind of comforting to know that your guys have been there just because there is a big unknown in playing Central because they've never been to the NCAA tournament before. Right. You know, right. and I would think that that's, that's an advantage for you guys um, because they're going to have that, well, this is pretty cool, you know. With that being said, of course, they're a top 15 team nationally right now. Right. So, you know, there is going to be, you know, they are going to be, you know, confident in their own abilities, obviously. But there, there's that bright lights kind of distraction that can sometimes happen as well. And I just don't get the sense that your guys are one of those groups that's going to fall into that trap, even playing against a team you don't know that well. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned the opponent, and I think, you know, honestly we've, we've tried not to guess about what their mentality is or anything like that. Like, I mean, that's uh, – I have no idea, you know, and, and I, I think that for our preparation – uh, we've assumed that they're going to come ready to play, you know, and, and I would expect nothing less again in a, in a tournament setting. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, the the overarching theme there is we're, we're just – and we've kind of been this way all season that we're really not going to focus on much on what the opponent is doing or what they're thinking or anything like, like that's all outside of our control. So let's focus on what's within our control, and that's us. So let's keep the focus on us and, and let's make sure that we are prepared uh, the right way uh, to be at our best on Saturday and I think if we have that mentality, um, you know, and we, and we do that, like there's, there's really not a way that we would be, um, you know, disappointing, I guess, if that makes sense. It's uh, a fun time of year. We're excited to see what's going to happen with you this week. And I know it's a crazy week, so we appreciate you stopping in today, Coach. Thanks a lot for having me. Garves, I, before we go, I got to ask, you know, so uh, how many NCAA tournaments did you play in? I played in three. Three. Okay, so any advice coming coming from a you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it, it, I mean it 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 follows exactly what we talked about though. When I was a freshman, and we we went to the final four, it was okay. This is a little bigger deal, you know. I have to wear a badge to get into the mm-hmm. rink now, and they're grabbing guys out to interview them after the games and all that stuff, and. You know, it was a, a little bit of a, a bright lights thing, as you said. <clears throat> My, the second year was different because nobody expected us to be there mm-hmm. because of everything that graduated from the year before, and somehow we blue-collared our way back into that thing. And as as much as there 
the class that was juniors that year, that, that was their third consecutive Final Four they had been to. And as good of hockey players as they were, we I feel like that team kind of had of a little bit of an air of, you know, we're, we're happy to be here because we weren't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And then my my third time when we, we finished second in the nation that year, that was a that was a business trip. Mm-hmm. That one felt markedly different than the first two because we went into that knowing we were as good as any team in the nation. We had every right to win a national championship that, that year as any team in the nation. And as fun much fun as it was, it was we, we put we took the fun out of it because mm-hmm. it was business. That we there was a job for us to do. We're going to go there, we're going to do that job, and we're coming home with hardware. Did that mentality come more from the players? Did it come from Coach Nelson? Where, you know, where was that? It was internal, yeah. you know, um, because I talked about the group of juniors. My The second time we went, they were seniors now. This was the fourth time they had gone to a Final Four, and it came from them mm-hmm. that, okay, we, we've done this four times. We we know what we need to do, and we're we're going to do that now. You know, we we've all had a good time at, on these trips. We've had a good time playing in these games. We had the we're just happy to be here thing. It's it's time to get the job done. Mm-hmm. So it was it was very very business like that last year, and you know we were one awful bounce away from going on the way. Yeah, yeah, and everybody having you know hardware on their fingers. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was more of a business trip, but I think that one in particular is probably the most memorable because of the way we just went about everything yeah. there. So it was it was much more internal. Uh, Coach, I think, knew his group of upperclassmen at that time. They, they didn't need a whole lot of talking yep. to. They, yep. we, we all had a pretty good idea of what we were there to do and how we were going to do it. So he didn't he didn't have to give us too many lectures at that point. And Did he give you one just for fun? You know, it's Coach <laughs> That's just how he was. I can you only know, imagine. Yeah. But honestly, no. Yeah. He, he really didn't. Yeah. I mean, we. He he gave us more of a. I'm not gonna say lecture. It was just more of a, family meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit different pregame. We're gonna go for a walk around town. We're gonna go to the gazebo in this park across from our hotel, and we're just gonna have a little family meeting. And it was more of. A, Really proud of everything you guys have done. Seniors, extremely proud of being here four straight years. You know what you need to do. Yeah. And he, he basically left it at that. And, you know, he was exactly right. We mm-hmm. did know what we needed to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a, it was kind of a very uncoach-like thing because he didn't yeah. throw, you know, we, he didn't have to lecture us. Yeah. yeah. And he strikes me, I mean, just from all the stories I've heard from you and from some of the other guys as, as that kind of coach who kind of, knew kind of what the the moment called for right and was is very good at, at dictating like he was really good at taking the temperature mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and he, and he knew when he needed to come in with guns blazing and peel the paint off the walls and he also knew when he could just let us do it internally mm-hmm. yeah. you know because I, I can remember one time during that season him just coming in and going when we didn't necessarily show up in a first period <laughs> and just kind of look at us and go I've heard the stories too, yeah. <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> yep. And leave the room. And all of us just feeling like kids going, Oh God, I just let my dad down. Right, right. Oh, this is the worst thing ever. We got forty minutes to fix it with dad. You know, <laughs> and come out in the second period and play great. Yep. And and then him come in and be like, Why didn't you do that in the first period too? <laughs> so 
Yeah. You know, he was really good at taking yeah. the temperature. And I think with that team in particular on that trip, he knew he didn't have to say much. He knew that <laughs> we'd, we'd been there. We, we knew what we needed to do. And, you know, his, uh, his old assistant coach, Dan Stanaway, used to just say, the hay's in the barn. You know, it's, it's out of our control now. And mm-hmm. once that plane landed in Vermont, he knew it's out of his control now. It's, it's up to us. So it was it was very much an internal thing. Very cool. I feel like the best. But at the same time, that. enjoy yeah. every moment. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, enjoy don't, every don't take the joy out yeah. of it. I yeah. mean, enjoy, enjoy every it. moment. I mean, you don't. You know, I mean, you Elliot, never know. Coach Stanley would always say, "You never know how many chances you're going to get." Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and you might and, never get back here. I mean, that was right. That's the old and man then, Dan Marino thing, yeah, right? And yeah, my, yeah. You know, yeah. my senior year, we didn't get back there. Right. So. Right. You know, you yeah. never know how many yeah. chances you're going to get. Enjoy every moment of it. Don't take it for granted, in other words. Yep. Enjoy the trip. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's that's all. That's what I say. Awesome. As somebody who's been down awesome. that road. But Coach Mooney, I know it's a busy week. Thanks a lot. And uh, go Jackets. Yeah, go hey, Jackets. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more of the Eye of the Swarm right after this. Sports broadcasts on 91.3 FM are made possible in part by Donji's East End Tavern, located in the heart of Superior's East End and a proud sponsor of Yellow Jacket Athletics. Ken Mertz and Mertz Rookie Insurance, a full-service agency with more than 35 years of experience offering all lines of personal and commercial insurance. 866-378-4936, online at MertzRookieInsurance.com. Burnix, local distributors of Pepsi and proud supporters of UW-Superior. And by Northwest Outlet, family-owned and operated for more than 60 years, offering a full line of sporting goods, footwear, clothing, and outerwear. 1814 Belknap and Superior or at northwestoutlet.com. Final segment of the Eye of the Swarm for this week, and uh, after... Going like a house on fire over the weekend with eight different games on campus and so much happening, it's uh, going to slow down a little bit here again for the home games anyway as you've, uh, you've got basketball this evening on Tuesday. The men's basketball team will be playing this week or this game on Tuesday. you got women's hockey on Saturday, and that's really about it yep. for the, the home games this week and even into next week. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a lighter home schedule this week, thankfully. Because Thank God. <laughs> you and I, I remember you, you sent me a picture and said, we earned it this weekend, buddy, because <laughs> you and I were all over the place all weekend. Yes, yeah. a so, lot of running around. A lot of running around. Men's soccer, of course, is in the NCAA tournament. They'll play their first game, as we talked about with Coach Mooney this Saturday, November 16th, taking on the number 14 ranked team in the country, Central. The Dutch making their NCAA tournament uh, debut, actually. They've never done it before. 3.30 p.m. If the Yellow Jackets win, they'll be playing on Sunday against the winner of Principia and also uh, Luther, a team that they already played this year, so a little bit of familiarity there. But yep. uh, uh should be interesting, and hopefully people will tune in because that should be a day- whale of a game against there, Central. Yeah, I think there's going to be, I mean, any game from here on out is going to be one heck of a game, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, it is. It's be national game. tournament time. These teams are all good. So any game that they're going to be playing in is going to be a dandy. Exactly. So tune in if you can online. I know the NCAA uh, streams those games. Yep. Uh, Men's and women's cross country, after being off last week, they're in action again this week as well, Saturday, November 16th. They're at their own NCAA competition. They're at the NCAA Division Three Central Region Championships hosted by Wartburg College, another course that they're somewhat familiar with. Yeah, they ran it earlier this year. Yep, at the Wartburg cross country course in Waverly, Iowa, men's race at 11 a.m., women's race at 12 p.m. So that's how that one will go. This is the last uh, last chance for people to get their times in order to qualify for the national meet next yep, week. Yep, and then the national meet's in a couple weeks, I think. Yep, I don't know. i got to look at that again. Men's basketball, as you mentioned, they have a couple of games this week. 
uh, taking on Concordia Moorhead on Tuesday at a 7 p.m. contest. I'll be on the air for that one. Of course, you won't be hearing it uh, in live time after uh, our, our podcast here because this will air a couple days later. But Correct. they will be on the radio regardless. <laughs> Hopefully, you, maybe you can re- get, uh, catch up with the archive. They will be in action also on Monday. They, they start a long road swing. They're at uh, UW-Eau Claire. That will be a 7 p.m. contest against former head coach Matt Siverling and the Blue Golds. So they'll be down at Jim Zorn Arena to take on that one. Women's basketball, meanwhile, we alluded to it a little bit. You want to talk about a road swing. Holy smokes. Yeah, they're heading out to— They're gone for a month. Yeah, they won't be back home until December at the Mertz. And they start out that long road swing Friday and Saturday at the 2019 Max Zeal Women's Basketball Tournament hosted by Oswego State. Traditional hockey power hosting the Yellow Jacket women's basketball team this weekend. The Yellow Jackets will take on the host Oswego State on Friday, 6.30 p.m. Is that local or is that Eastern time? Do you know? I believe it's local. Okay, so it'll be 7.30 p.m. Everything we list on our website is usually local. Central time? Okay, so it'll be 6.30 p.m. And then depending on whether they win or lose, they'll play on Saturday against either Clarkson or Morrisville State. So hopefully the Yellow Jackets will pick up not just one win, but a couple. That'd be very, very good for that program. Yeah, it would be right now. They've had a tough start. A little bit of a tough start. Women's hockey, meanwhile, will be back in action also on Saturday. I think you're back on the air with them that I day, aren't you? I will have that, that call on Saturday evening, a rare Saturday night game for the women's hockey program. They yeah, 7 p.m. against the Blue Gold, 645 yep. the pregame. That will be an interesting one. It is. You know, they're uh, – well, Claire, that, that's an interesting program to me because – They've been they up were, and down. They like, were, well, they were down. Yeah. There was never an up with them. They were down. They made a coaching change, and you know it only took a matter of a year or two. And then they went up from down to being, you know, an NCAA contender. So right, yeah, they went from you know, way they, down to way up. If the Jackets need a litmus test to see where they are right now, uh, this is going to be a darn good one. Yep. So that's what's coming up this week. Uh, a little bit of a lighter week, but uh, should be a fun one. Garson. It's going to be a fun one, and uh, you know, let's hopefully people will tune into you on the radio too. Hopefully they tune into you. Or have tuned into you, yeah. When this one airs, and we'll be tuning into me on Saturdays, so right? Yeah, it's yeah exactly. Be, it's going to be a good week. So, with that, that brings our this week's edition of the Eye of the Swarm to a close. He's our engineer on site, Elliot Swear, the Big Sound Matt Johnson. I'm John Garver. Thank you very much for listening to the Eye of the Swarm.